You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. You're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe. Today, we're going to have a journey down the technology highway. I've got a uh, guest who himself runs a technology company that specializes in helping small to mid-sized businesses with their technology support. He's a gentleman I met a number of years ago. We were doing a local networking event, and uh, that's how we met. We actually literally lived down the road from each other, and that's a relative term in modern day speak. But uh, nonetheless, we can get we can get to each other in about 30 minutes if we want to. So uh, anyway, it's my pleasure to introduce to you a gentleman named Roland Parker. Roland, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dad. Great, great to uh, jump on your show. Well, uh, you can immediately detect a little bit of an accent in Roland's yeah, speech. Deep South Texas accent. Deep South Texas is, <laughs> yeah. is what he likes to say. But uh, with that, Roland, to share with everybody your really interesting backstory on what brought you to Texas and, and your business here locally. So uh, I'm from a country called Zimbabwe, which used to be known as Rhodesia. And uh, my family had actually uh, migrated there in the 1890s when it was southern Rhodesia, became Rhodesia in 65 and then Zimbabwe in 1980. And uh, my wife and I started uh, Impress Computers in Zimbabwe in 93. And uh, then, you know, life always throws a few challenges at you. We, we actually grew the company to one of the biggest in the country. And then on the 23rd of September of 99, she had a car accident. So her, her neck was snapped at C6, C7. And uh, so she's got limited mobility in her arms and no hand movement or anything below that. So suddenly our life was turned upside down. Our kids were five and eight at the time of her accident. And then um, while she was in the rehabilitation center recovering from that, uh, the country erupted in violence. So they did a big uh, farm invasion where they were taking over the white-owned farms and that violence then spread to the cities. So we found ourselves in a situation where, um, you know, there was a lot of violence. Uh, people were being tortured, picked up. Uh, some people were being murdered. So we got to the point where we've been involved in supporting the opposition for a period of time. And then the target was put on our back and we just felt it was unsafe to live there. So we opened up a world map and said, you know, where in the world are we going to go? Uh, so we looked at Australia, we looked at Europe, we looked at the UK, and then we looked at the US. And since my wife's accident, she can't take the cold weather. So she was like, wherever we're going to go, it's going to be warm. So that kind of was, we cut out the UK, decided look at Australia, look at the US. And uh, when we decided on the US, um, there was a, the three big states that stood up was California, Florida, and Texas. And we quickly determined, boy, Florida's got, uh, sorry, California's got great weather, but the cost of living, the business environment, 
it was just like, wow, there's no way we're going to be able to start up a business in this type of atmosphere. Florida seemed to be more tourist retirement. So Texas seemed to be very open, lower cost of living, and was and it seemed to make the most sense. So we looked at Texas, then we found Houston. And when we were looking at Houston, we saw this little thing that popped up that said, I love Katy. And I said, <laughs> Look at Katy. There's this town called Katy, Texas. It's close to Galveston, close to the big city of Houston. Uh, we can get anywhere. Very wheelchair friendly. And it was like, seemed to make sense. So we made this decision in January 2003. We got our visas, formed a company, signed a five year lease on our premises, wrapped up our house in Zimbabwe. We bought a house over the internet and we're physically here in Katy, Texas on the 25th of March. So two and a half months, we just made that huge leap of faith and landed in Katy. And then it was like, okay, we're here, now what do we do? <laughs> wow. Well, for those of you that have gone out and started businesses, I, I challenge you to tell me a more challenging story than, than what Roland has shared there. Boy, the uh, personal burden of, of your wife being disabled from that car wreck, uh, thankfully she survived it, right? But um, Yeah, and you know, the great thing is she works every day. So even though she's got limitations, I've got to put her in a chair and move her from time to time. And to type, she's got to put a splint on her finger. So she types one-handed, but she can answer the phone with using this part of her wrist bone, types with one finger, and then when she uses her mouse, her left hand's got to come across and actually click the button because her fingers don't work. But she takes the calls, puts in tickets, transfers calls to the technicians, keeps everybody on track. She's got a camera system so she can see where everybody is. And uh, she keeps all of us guys in, in, in track. And, you know, we're a staff of 15, so she's got a busy schedule keeping on top of everybody. Um, but uh, it's amazing how you can adapt to your new conditions. Right, right. Well, kudos to her and you for bringing all that together and working it. And and I, I can't attest, she's, she's a wonderful lady and, and a... Uh, a whale of a taskmaster, I, I know, keeping the crew together, keeping you guys honest. So talk to us a little bit more specifically about what your business does and how you serve your community. So our biggest um, sector at the moment is that we do IT support for businesses. Typically, they've got 20 to about 200 employees in their organization. Most of them don't have an internal IT. Some of the bigger ones do, but they rely on us for cybersecurity, keeping them safe, checking their backups, monitoring their networks so that they, um, they don't go down. And most importantly, in this day and age, keeping them safe and secure from the uh, cybersecurity threats that are, that are out there. And, uh, you know, as time has evolved, we've had to have it a overnight staff because we found that most of the hacks that were occurring were at about two to three o'clock in the morning, which is ideal time if you're in China, Russia, Eastern Europe, that's when they're gonna be hitting the US markets. 
everybody's asleep. And if your tech department doesn't have that overnight team to be able to monitor the situation, then what happens is by the time they get to work at 8.30 in the morning, it may be too late. So we've got a, a full 24-hour monitoring system where live technicians are, are making sure that people are safe and secure. And then it's just taking a proactive approach. You know, we get alerts if your hard drive's getting full, if you're uh, running out of memory, if somebody's trying to get into the system. So by proactively fixing issues before they become a problem, uh, we can prevent a lot of downtime. And of course, worst case scenario, we've got to make sure your backups are in order. We're testing your backups. And if your whole system were to go down, we can actually take your company, spin it up as a virtual server in the cloud and get you up and running in the cloud while we restore uh, your local operations. Yeah. Well, as, as many people know, especially those who have a, a high degree of sensitivity to their tech platform, whatever it may be, it could be just your simple internal network for similar, as you said, you know, taking orders, issuing service tickets, fulfilling deliveries. But there are clearly a lot of companies that are uh, even deeper into the technology for the work they do. And having that kind of support and backup is always part of the P&L that has to be looked at. But, you know, I, I think back on the days when I had a company and ran my own tech platform and, and did have to rely on some outside support from time to time. Even when I compare what I had to deal with then versus what companies have to deal with now, and I'm thinking specifically of the whole cybersecurity aspect of it, because that has just gone off the chart. I mean, I, I had I had firewalls and I had security and some things like that. But to be truthful, we and this was back around the 2003 timeframe, we didn't talk that much about cybersecurity per se. We were worried about brute force attack through a firewall to get into our data. But we didn't think about ransomware and phishing schemes and all of that. It's, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, this is a multi-trillion dollar industry. Um, and a lot of the time, all it takes is one employee to click on a link, respond to a text message, open an attachment, and they can expose the entire environment, which is why you've now got to have a multi-layered approach. And uh, a big thing at the moment is, is something called zero trust. Um, your traditional antivirus has gone by the way that's been replaced by next-gen antivirus, which has uh, endpoint detection and remediation. So if some a file changes, we can isolate it. But the zero trust really comes in where we can say, instead of looking at a file and deciding, is this good or is this bad? We simply say, these are the known good files and we're not gonna accept anything else. So we literally lock down the entire system and we can say if somebody opens a link on attachment or an executable inside a PDF tries to run, the Zero Trust program will block it from running. And if you can block it from running, there's almost a zero chance of it getting through. So if you couple that, you have your firewall, you have your Zero Trust, you have your endpoint detection and remediation, and worst case scenario, you've always got your backups. 
So is there such a thing as having a company that is not likely to be hit by one of these attacks? Everybody from a one-man band upwards, because uh, the small businesses have become the low-hanging fruit. In the past, people would say, well, it's only going to happen to the big guys, and the big guys hit the news. But the small guys are getting hit now more than ever. Um, and there's certain industries that are hit more than others, CPA firms, law firms, because they they have so much sensitive information. So you can imagine if, if like a CPA firm were to get a hit, they've got everybody's tax returns, social security numbers, their annual salary, their um, address, phone numbers, everything is on there. So when they get hit, they're exposed thousands of people's documents that are then going to end up in the dark web. So it's ultra critical that if you can, if you have sensitive information like that, if you're a financial investor, if you're a CPA, to be compliant, you've got to have all of the security in place, not protecting just yourself, but all of your clients' information. Yeah. I know, you know, myself and uh, once upon a long time ago, my my business focus was in mortgage finance and, and that too is a target rich environment for personal data, social security numbers, connections with other financial instruments, you know, investment funds, property holdings, uh, stock trades, all of that kind of information that goes into that classic mortgage file. and. You're probably going to appreciate this. Um, I had to close a company that was related to all that as a byproduct of the crash of 2008. So I, I had some hard drives on my servers that had some pretty sensitive data on it, and I wanted to be diligent. And I called the, the gentleman at the time who was doing most of my tech support. I said, what is the best way to get this erased so I can get rid of these servers? And he said, well, there's this program and there's that program. And he said, but there's one really foolproof way to do it. And I said, yeah, what's that? And he said, you want to take a ride with me? And I said, sure. He said, so let's load these machines up in my truck. And, and next thing I know, we're driving down this farm road. And he gets out his 30 6 shotgun and we line them up and we just obliterated them. <laughs> you know, if you're going to take them out, you might as well have fun doing it. Just blast away. You know, and we uh, we we peppered those servers. You know, they they were older technology. They really weren't going to serve anybody well. And even thinking about giving the chassis to a nonprofit didn't make a lot of sense. So we uh, shot them up until we exposed the hard drives, and then we shot those. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, smashing it with a five pound hammer, taking it to the shooting range. Uh, drilling a hole through it. Those are all great things that you can do to make sure that that data doesn't end up there. Um, but, you know, these days, uh, there's, there, what, things like wire transfer uh, fraud is just going through the roof. And they're getting so clever because they now are copying the person's signature, the email. They, they'll make one little change to the, to the URL and then they pretend to be that person. So sometimes right. ransomware is on the increase, but that wire transfer fraud, they're pretending to be somebody 
change the ACH information, change the wire transfer information, and next minute they've got the wire transfer funds and trying to, trying to clear up that mess. You can get the FBI involved, but trying to get your funds back when it's left the country is difficult. Yeah, yeah, horrible, horrible. Well, let me shift gears just a little bit. Let's talk about from a business ownership standpoint and and that basic investment in technology systems and services to support. The first question that comes to my mind, what is the shelf life of a suite of technology today? Well, if you're talking about laptops, they typically, you're going to get about five years out of it. Desktops, you can get five to seven years. And servers are going to be about seven years. Um, now, sometimes if you're in a fast, rapidly moving environment where you've got to keep up with the latest technologies, people will change them every three years. But um, typically, laptop, three to five years. Desktop, five, five years, sometimes seven years. Um, but, uh, you know, they keep improving technology, improving speed. So sometimes if you, if you, it's actually your programs that almost force you to get newer, faster equipment, especially yeah. if you're doing AutoCAD or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to be paying while you've got, you've got a very expensive engineer or CAD designer sitting there on all your old equipment when you could cut his, uh, production time down dramatically by by going with the latest technology. Yeah, yeah, that, that's always a, a, a paper chase of sorts in in knowing when to pull the trigger and make that next incremental investment in new equipment. Of course, now as I recall, the a lot of the accounting rules you can depreciate that stuff pretty fast, get it charged off, and turn it around so you don't have that long tail depreciation cycle and, to keep track of. One of the things we do for our clients is um, once we do the onboarding, we'll sit down with our clients every quarter and we actually go through all of their computers and we start saying, this next quarter, these are the machines that need to be replaced. So they've got a plan. You know, They know what they're going to be spending in 2023, 2024, 2025. It's, we lay it out for them uh, we recommend when those machines should be either upgraded or replaced. Wow, that's that's powerful, good stuff. Well, what about the question of moving your company to the cloud? At first, I'm going to ask a real basic question. What does that mean to a business owner? So going to the cloud can be a good move, but it's not always necessary. Uh, people think, well, it's going to be easier to move to the cloud. Sometimes it's more expensive. So really, at the end of the day, the cloud is just a server somewhere, but it's not on, on your premises. So we like to do a rule of thumb. If all of your employees work from the office and you don't have that many remote workers, it makes more sense to actually have an on-premise server and keep keep it secure and lock down locally. Now, as you get to a situation where you have an increased number of remote workers or multiple locations, then it makes more sense to say, we're going to go in the cloud. And it really depends on what programs you're using. So 
um, if your QuickBooks is in the cloud, if your uh, programs that you need to run your business on the cloud, then sometimes you can say, well, let's move to an Azure Active Directory and move everything to the cloud. And sometimes you have a hybrid situation. You still keep your on-premise server, but then you, you also operate in the cloud. So, so your server is synchronizing with the cloud and you have cloud synchronization um, using SharePoints, using Ignite. There's a lot of different features that are out there. Some people will use Dropbox, but we found that there's a lot of vulnerabilities. If you rely on more of a consumer-grade product to run your business on, because if if you get compromised, that can spread like wildfire. Because with cloud synchronization, where whether it's um, OneDrive, Dropbox, Google Drive, if you're synchronizing with all of your computers, if one person gets infected, it's basically spreading like wildfire throughout your environment. So you've got to be careful on how you set it up. The same thing when you've got remote workers, if they're either remoting into your on-premise server or they're logging onto your server in the cloud. If you don't lock those machines down that you're giving access, if that person uses their own device, you can say, you know, you, we've got our servers in the cloud or at the office. You can log in with your home computer. Bad move, never do it because you don't have control over their environment. Yeah. Then what happens, that machine gets infected. You don't have any eyes on it. You don't have control. They log into your environment. Next thing, before you know it, they've actually spread ransomware throughout your entire environment because you allow them into your secure environment with an insecure computer. Yeah. The facetious thought going through my mind is we had COVID pandemic symptoms before we ever had COVID <laughs> because of the way <laughs> these computers share things and, and uh, virally infect each other, um, not in the same biological sense, but in the practical sense. So I'm, the other thing I'm thinking about, you and I share the geography down here in the Houston area that was so gravely impacted by Hurricane Harvey back in 2017. How many of your clients went underwater during that event? So all of the people that we were managing, we actually had our tech team go out in advance, shut the servers down, move them into a secure place, when the water receded, of course, we had them backed up, and then we made sure that the, the environment was clean, got them back up and running. But the people that weren't managed, and that's the danger, a lot of them lost everything. We knew one company that their server was left um, in the rack, but it, and where the water filled up, it actually covered the hard drives. Destroyed the ray, destroyed the motherboard. They had all they had four hard drives in the server. That was uh, completely lost, and they did not have a backup. Um, so we sent it up to a forensic data recovery place, costing four and a half thousand dollars. They were able to get the data back, but they had four weeks where they couldn't do anything. So it can be pretty catastrophic, um, and even if you go through a forensic data recovery center, sometimes they can't get the data. 
So working with an IT team to make sure, you know, you should always be sitting down with your team and going, let's have disaster preparedness. What should happen if there's an earthquake, a fire, a ransomware attack, uh, theft? All of these scenarios should be discussed way in advance before disaster strikes so that you can say, should this happen, these are the protocols to follow. And you simply follow those protocols when you're coming up towards that event. And then there's no... People aren't running around getting frantic because they know we've got a set protocol to follow and we just simply follow those protocols. Yeah. Yeah, and and I guess I had the good fortune in this arena by virtue of kind of growing up in my career, so to speak, in the banking world. And I, I mean, all the way going back to day one for me in the banking world, I can remember data security and data handling being a, a critical issue. Even though parts of our bank, I'm going to tell my age, parts of our bank were still on the old, what was then called a mainframe computer, but we still had backup protocols. We still had those uh, disaster recovery plans. People had roles and responsibilities. We had calling trees, all those things that play out when there is a disaster happening. And I guess that got into my DNA. So as I've gone on to do other things, I still, when I think about a business and I think about data, I think about those kind of, it's almost like there's a mental checklist I've got that I can't get rid of. Yeah, and, and for some people, they don't think about it until it happens. Um, but sometimes it's too late. Uh, so either way, you're going to have downtime um, if you don't prepare so that's why we like to go through what is, you know, how quickly do you need to be up and running should something happen? And then depending on how quickly you need to be back up and running is how quickly we can get, we can set up your environment. You know, do you have to have two premises, two servers that are mirroring each other? Do you have to have a backup in, in the cloud that we can spin up a virtual server? What does that look like? Um, how are your employees going to connect to it? So you've really got to go through each scenario and then you look at what would happen. You know, if somebody broke into your premises and stole your computers, uh, what would happen if you had a fire, if there was a flood, um, if there was a ransomware attack? And really go through who's responsible, what are we going to do, and what the steps, what steps should you take in the in the event that that happens? Yeah, yeah. So do you, do you see a kind of a, um, I guess I'll call it a framework or standard based on size of the company of how the complexity of all these solutions stacks up? Is there a, is there a base case scenario for that small startup company? And, and then what, what's the next break point in your mind of, of when people need to expand and upgrade? Well, the first thing, even when you're starting up, set, setting up your company, you've always got to think of, I've got, I've got to at least have three different backups. So I've got to have my computers, even if you're running in the cloud, I've got to have local backups, and I've got to have a secondary backup in the cloud. So even if you're a one-man band, you know, uh, something like a, a hard drive failure, um, theft, fire, flood, whatever, that could that could 
take you down completely because if you lost every all of your clients' data, if you weren't able to operate, you may be shut down. So you always want to make sure, okay, have I got a backup? And think about that right from the beginning, data security. And then you really want to put a good antivirus system, a good backup, and uh, at least put in a, a, a firewall. So if you've got those three things, firewall, good antivirus, and, and a backup, that's a good starting point. As you get bigger, you then start to need um, 24-7 monitoring. You need to have the zero trust um, because you're just that much more vulnerable. The bigger you are, the more chances you have of an employee clicking on a link and an attachment, especially as you're growing and the focus is on growth. Sometimes you lose the focus on security at the same time. So you've got to start putting those things in place as you grow. So I would say, you know, zero to five employees, just make sure you've got a good antivirus firewall and, and three different backups. And as you get beyond five, you then start really needing that that monitoring service that comes from a managed service provider. Yeah. I think that's that's really helpful to think about, and and I, I I do see situations with entrepreneurs that I work with. They they fundamentally just haven't thought about this. They've they've got maybe a a some form of enterprise software that they're using where there's cross team collaboration and activity going on. But if it's a licensed software, like a, a software as a service kind of cloud-based thing, they think, well, I'm, I'm okay. That's all, my, my vendor does all that for me and it's all good, but you, you better be checking on those guys. <laughs> and, if, yeah, so it's, and, and what you got to remember is that um, they've got you. So you, you, you're doing software as a service, you're logging into the cloud and you're thinking that's great. The problem is, if your machine gets compromised and you don't have multi-factor authentication set up, then what happens is if somebody gets onto your machine, they've got the keys to the kingdom. They can go through all your records. They can encrypt all your stuff. They can delete documents. They can do whatever they want because they've got control. So don't fall into the complacency of thinking, well, my stuff's in the cloud, I'm going to be okay. The same thing with with uh, getting Office 365. You know, you think, well, my emails are hosted by Microsoft, I'm okay. If my hard drive dies or my laptop gets stolen, I can just reinstall Microsoft Office and it'll resync with the cloud. The problem is Microsoft does not back up your emails. So if you delete something by mistake or a malicious person gets in there and starts deleting things, it's gone. Microsoft doesn't back it up. So with your emails, you've got to have multi-factor authentication. You've got to have security around it. And then you've also got to have backups of your emails. Yeah, I think that's a critical element to think about because so many businesses are able to run with these third-party solutions. This software as a service is the popular name for it. And to your point, people get a false sense of security. Well, that's where I do my business is over on that platform, and now I'm okay. But 
there are still the vulnerabilities and, and these risks and, and troubles that can come from it. So, um, you know, being aware, aware of your risks and responsibilities when you arrange those kind of contracts, you need to ask a lot of questions and you need to think about these these risky things that you're citing here. Bottom line is, smart move on a, a business owner's part would be to call a guy like you to consult with and just ask the question, what should I be thinking? Yeah, because at the end of the day, um, you know, you, you're not an IT professional. You want to look after your own business um, and you want to leave the thinking of the security and the backups and the integrity of your data to somebody like an IT professional uh, because you don't know what you don't know. And whether you're a plumber, a lawyer, a CPA, whatever the case, engineer, concentrate on your business and get an IT professional involved to make sure that everything's being backed up, um, that everything's secure, and that your staff can run efficiently. Yeah, yeah. Well, Roland, uh, this has been great, and thank you for sitting in with us, taking some time out of your busy day to do that. If if people want to get a hold of you and learn more about their options for getting these managed services, uh, how should they do that? Uh, probably one of the best ways they can go to our website, impresscomputers.tech, T-E-C-H, um, or they can just uh, give us a call, 281-647-9977. And uh, we'll just schedule a, an on-site assessment. We don't charge for that. And we can just sit down with you and have a conversation and see if it's going to be a good fit uh, to protect your environment. Yeah, great, great, good stuff. And as always, folks, we will have that information in the show notes. Just click the links below here, and you'll be able to hop in and uh, get a hold of Roland or his team <clears throat> And with that, Roland, I'm going to say one last time, thank you for sharing all this. I think it's really critical and important, and thank you for your wisdom and experience. Thanks, Doug. Great chatting to you, and we'll, hopefully we'll see you soon at one of the networking events. Yeah, I, uh, I need to do that again. Um, and folks, at this point, I always like to remind you that if you're listening to this show on your favorite streaming service, we do have a video version over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. And I encourage you to hop over there. We've opened up a membership community on the YouTube channel. You can get some other private perks and uh, benefits by becoming a member of that community. So go over there to YouTube, Leadership Powered by Common Sense, check it out and give us a a note. Uh, tell us if you've got some ideas or questions about future episodes. We certainly entertain those ideas as well. So for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and wish you the best. Thanks, Doug. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.